Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. This show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Alright, this go around we got a nice, short, simple, stress-free episode for you. This is James Quasar Haley. No relation to Bill Haley and his comments as far as I know, but an amazing, amazing game dev. This is a really kind of touching story for me. It's a it's one prime example of a guy who made his way in the Doom modding community and then ended up uh you know, finding a real job, working in a real studio, doing really awesome shit. He's uh, he's famous for making Chocolate Strife early on, alongside uh, Tim Valerial, you may know him as Kaiser, and then went on to work for Night Dive, and he's worked on everything from, you know, Blood Fresh Supply, to working with uh, Turok 1 and 2, the Strife Veterans Edition, and we even talk a little bit about Forsaken and everything, so it's... A, Really chill interview, just walking through his career with him and uh, getting to know a really great guy. So let's get in the keep with James Quasar Haley. Haley, and uh, well, I'm one of the main developers for Night Dive Studios now, uh, so that takes up probably the the bulk of my time these days. Uh, a lot of my hobby activities have fallen by the wayside due to that. <laughs> Where are you from originally? I, I am from Oklahoma. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I detected a bit of a southern accent. I've got a, a, a redneck radar a bit, uh, because I'm from Alabama too, so... You can automatically hear that in someone's voice, even if they uh, think they've trained it out. I think people point it out to me all the time, and I, I don't know. Maybe I've trained it out a bit since I moved away from the southeast, but it's always going to be there. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been doing you've been doing this shit forever, man. Like when did you like 1998 is roughly when I'm seeing that you got started um, doing some Doom mods. Is that is that about where it began for you, or was it earlier? How did you get into it? Yeah. Um- probably the later half of 1997, I think. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine from high school uh, came by my house one day and ins- said he had this awesome game to install on my computer, which turned out to be Doom. And uh, that really is where it all started. And were you already at that point kind of into code and into you know messing around with your computer, or was that kind of a, a trigger for you? That was really the launching point. Uh, I got into uh, level modding and dehacked for uh, the the DOS EXE, and uh, that just 
led to an interest in programming. So like the next year I signed up for the QBasic uh, class at my high school and that's where I started learning programming. Okay. That's good that your high school actually, uh, you know, offered something like that. It's really cool. Like I remember being really disappointed in my high school. I was like, Oh, what, what's, what computer classes can we take? Like, we have like business tech and that's it. And yeah. Yeah, I was like, what an Excel word that just basic Microsoft office functionality. Yeah. I was, I'm really actually jealous when I talk to people who had that opportunity and then you, you didn't do too much for a while, or at least you didn't publish too much for a while. So was there a, an interim for you or how did you kind of progress from there? Well, uh, really what happened is I ended up wasting a lot of time uh, working on a what was going to be called the Eternity Total Conversion. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be a big, initially it started out as an episode project, and then it turned into, well, we're going to do a whole 32 you know level megawatt for Doom 2. And uh, then we wanted to do a custom engine for it after the source code got released, and it just kept growing and growing and never really getting anywhere. And that probably lasted till about 2004, I think. 2004, so yeah, that's a long period of time. What, like, what motivates you to work on something like that? Did you see a a goal, like a monetary goal, or was it all passion at that point? What was the deal? Well, yeah, I would say it was passion, and kind of with with a a view toward eventually getting into the gaming industry. Uh, when I went into programming originally, that was one of the main things that I thought that I might do for a career was be a game programmer. And that is an idea that for me goes way back to when I was a kid. And probably, uh, it, I think it started when I first played Super Mario Bros. on the Nintendo. Uh, okay. I, it wasn't very long after that that I started like drawing my own levels on graph paper. Super Mario Bros, but like, uh, what what else was inspiring you? Were you mainly a console kid, or did you have access to PCs or before Doom, or what, what was? Yeah, what was de- like? definitely console. Um, okay. My other two favorite series in that regard are the Zelda series and the Metroid series, and both of those were big inspirations for me. Right. And uh, yeah. I, I wasn't able to get a PC until uh, 1995, so uh, up until then, that's all right. I had. 95 year I was born. So yeah, right on. And I don't know, like it just seems like you had like this kind of long gap in there. I, you've kind of explained it now, but then you come back in 2003 ish and you start to publish some, some mod stuff with Mach 2. And then, uh, you did a, what a fortress of Moo. What is that? I, I'm not even familiar with that project. So yeah, uh, that's a good old joke wad that was done by my friend hyena. And, um, uh... He asked me to do a level for it, and what I thought I would do for my level is that I would take inspiration from the old uh, D-Zone level compilation disc, and I just took different characteristics of maps that I had played on there, like the ridiculous texture alignment and out-of-whack balance, and uh, like just a room full of Commander Kings that you've got to shoot to get a door open, (laughs) and then a maze made out of just... uh, objects instead of solid walls which is something that i've seen in a level before just because like they couldn't figure out how to do it in the map editor i guess and i just threw all that into one level just to make it a really ridiculous experience so when did you start to get involved in the the chocolate doom community and then you know that kind of leads into a whole different path on your career 
Um, I wasn't too directly involved with Chocolate Doom itself, other than, you know, uh, speaking with uh, Simon Fraggle with about uh, various issues at times. But then, um, eventually, uh, I teamed up with uh, Samuel Valario, uh, who most people know as Kaiser, and we did uh, Chocolate Strife, which is basically reverse engineering the original Strife executable and then using the uh, results of that to recreate Strife using Chocolating. And so is that the kind of beginning of your what would later become your career with Night Dive, or was there a connection before that with Sam? Uh, uh, we had been friends for uh, quite a few years, pretty much since he had shown up in the Doom community, and I helped him a little bit in the background with uh, Doom 64 EX. But uh, it really did end up being Chocolate Strife that was the impetus for me to get into the community because, uh, you know, uh, Stephen Kick uh, was actively searching for the guys who had done Chocolate Strife and ended up, you know, getting referred to us. Right. And then you guys ended up working on the veteran edition of Strife that was published by Night Dive, which is absolutely excellent, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And. Were you a, were you a previously a fan of Strife like early on, or was this just like a oh it's an opportunity I should work on it or what? Um, I actually started playing it in response to uh, my interest in eventually reverse engineering it. I hadn't okay. tried it before that, but uh, once I did, I was like, "This is really awesome, and we should just go ahead and try to you know save this game from being so lost and obscure." <laughs> Yeah, it is weird how Strife kind of went by the wayside. A lot of people seem to not remember it. it and the people, who, there's clearly a community of people who do, but the people who don't, it surprised me. Because this is like a really advanced, about as advanced as you get within the original Doom engine, you know, with the, all the RPG elements and the, the enemy AI is even everything. It's, it's absolutely an excellent game. And it actually continues to blow my mind that it went under people's radar. Yeah, it had a really unfortunate uh, launch window sandwiched right between Duke 3D and Quake. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because another the same thing happened to another game that I've worked on since then, which was Sin. And it like got sandwiched between uh, Half-Life and then something something that came out right before it, I think. Since you brought it up, with with Sin, what's what's been your kind of... Uh, experience working with that game in general it, it is a very weird niche kind of special game as well and also it's it's in this weird uh, area right now where it's it's got like the you know the night dive release and then it seems like there's going to be more to the story as we go on uh, into the next couple of years so how is it working on that project yeah uh, we had started back in i think it was 2017 and mm -hmm. we were at that point we were working with the current what was then the then current IP holder, uh, and we were looking at you know just getting the game updated, and uh, there there were some disagreements about what the scope of the project was going to be at the time and such and such, so it ended up getting delayed, and then uh, you know rather than give up on it, uh, Stephen decided to just go ahead and buy the entire IP so that we could do everything <laughs> the way we wanted it, and so uh, at that yeah. point I you know, blew the dust off my old work. And uh, that was basically kind of just the adventure of getting the old Quake 2 engine to build in a modern version of Visual C++. 
uh, fixing a lot of weird problems. Like uh, I had to get one of our uh, assembly experts, one of our reverse engineer guys, to help me fix some of the assembly code because, like, it would use the wrong floating point mode and leave that active, and then it would mess up the runtime libraries later, which is just, you know, a, a really weird, obscure problem that you're only going to run into on, a, on an aging game like that. Going forward, we're looking at uh, doing a whole proper uh, remaster, which has been announced just recently. What's the deal with the with the Kex engine and like working with it and everything? Was that uh, it's primarily Sam Valerial's kind of baby, but what uh, people seem to be confused, especially since like it got a lot of popularity with the Doom sixty four port that recently came out about what it is and what it actually does. Can you shed a little light on what it is? Um, yeah, it's primarily what you would call a low-level framework. It helps mm-hmm. us get things running on multiple platforms at the same time. And it, it does this in a way that's a little bit different from, say, Unreal or uh, Unity, in that it doesn't try to dictate how the game logic is going to work at all. And uh, like in those engines, you get, like there's a whole default physics engine, for example, and Kex just doesn't have anything like that because what you're going to do with Kex is you're going to take the original game's code and update it and then interface it, you know, where necessary with the uh, low-level stuff. Okay. So sort of a metalware type situation. Yeah. Okay, okay. And is there does there seem to be a limit or like how, what are you guys looking at project wise in terms of like what can and can't be done with this because it seems like you have such a wide array of games that you've already successfully you know brought into the limelight with with this engine and it seems like the sky's the limit but like so you got everything from you know strife to all the all the stuff that you guys like and it's a mountain of work that night dive has been able to pull off but now we're looking at you know Team 64, we're looking at Sin. Are we going to be able to move into the early 2000s? I know there's Turok. Like what, what else is there to come? Well, there isn't really anything that hasn't been announced that I can talk about. But uh, okay. uh, yeah, no, fair enough. I, I do think that the engine is scalable enough to keep us going for quite a while. And uh, the thing is, we're always constantly developing on it and adding new stuff. And uh, some of those things uh, Sam is really good at, at doing, like... Uh, he had been saying for a long time, yeah, I don't know about Vulcan. I don't know what we can do with that. And then he just put his head down and like uh, over the course of a week, suddenly we had a Vulcan back end. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys even were able to pull off the Blood Fresh Supply port, which I know a lot of my listeners are super into. But what was that project like in particular? Because I know it was a, l- a little bit more difficult than a lot of the other things that you guys have had to pull off. Unfortunately, I was just barely involved with that project. Basically, okay. I consulted on a few things like uh, how to properly translate VGA colors to mm-hmm. uh, to a modern screen, because we had some accuracy problems with that in an early screenshot, and I was like, yeah, you need to do it this way. <laughs> but uh, I think that, uh, speaking for Sam here, the main problem was that he had to basically reverse engineer the build engine in a in a uh, in the course of a few months and he just really didn't get enough time to work on it i don't think if he had like say another year it'd be perfect i think yeah that seems to be the consensus like maybe if you guys had had more time to play around with it 
it would have turned into a much bigger, better project than it ended up being. Although I, th- I still think it's quite good. But yeah, that that's the story. That's the same thing I got from Steve. And I guess I'll just be kind of perpetually put in this situation where I keep asking, like, what happened? What's going on? And everybody's like, well, that same answer. So that's cool. What about uh, the, the Turok series? I see that you have some credits on there. What, what was the uh, experience like for that? Yeah, I would I would call Turok 1 my first really big project. You know, right, uh, right. Strife Veteran Edition, it wasn't small, but Turok was even bigger than that. Uh, and that was just me and Sam that did that together, uh, you know, with a, a little bit of help from other people. Uh, like, uh, for instance, we had a localization team that did translation and... Uh, we had a guy do some art for us, but uh, just as far as programming went, it was just us. And uh, at, at first, actually, it had just been Sam because I believe that I was working on uh, Noctropolis at the time. Uh, and then when that wrapped up, I went over to Turok with him, and we were like, "Wow, we still have a ton of stuff to do on this, and it's it's going to be due here in a little bit." So we just put our heads down and really buckled down on it. And, I remember one of the big things that I did was some of the scripting for the bosses. Uh, almost all of the scripting for the final boss in particular was, was my doing. Yeah. The, the Turok 1 is such a weird game. It's like... it The way that the... This is the original developers talking, but like the way that they played around with the fog mechanic and as you're platforming through the levels and everything... it. It's just such a weird game, like, graphically. Even for a first-person shooter, it, it doesn't really fit in with any other game in the genre. And then you have all the wacky weapons, and you have just the strange way that the, the story sort of unfolds. And for you guys to have kind of recreated that and brought it back to the, the PC market even, because it's something a lot of people don't really talk about with some of these games that you guys have done over at Night Dive is, you know, when you bring these games that are primarily like an N64 or console title to the PC, there exists even a different layer in that, you know, some of the enemies, and we'll get into this with uh, Doom 64 as well, the enemies, you know, were designed in such a way that, like, we're not expecting our player to be super skilled with their aim ability. And then you guys pretty seamlessly brought Turok over. Was there any uh, inner thought about that, or was it just kind of natural as you ported it over? Yeah, I felt that it really developed naturally. It felt really good uh, just having the modern controls with the uh, existing gameplay. We didn't have to change too much other than, you know, add on things where we could. Which is one of the fun things about, really, really fun things about the job that I do is trying to uh, bring back dead content or add new content where we can. Yeah. And... So, so there was like no adjustment whatsoever for difficulty at all. No, not that? really. That's Other awesome. than we d- we did end up adding a hardcore skill level, which is like a step up from the uh, what was available originally. What's the difference between hardcore and just regular or hard mode? Basically, everything's faster. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, just make it a little faster, make it that reaction time a little more challenging. That's good. And then you, you do Turok 2, and was that a little bit easier because you had already worked on Turok 1, or was it kind of a new challenge in any diff- any significant way? Yeah, I would say it was a new challenge in almost every way. Uh, it's probably the most difficult project that we've done to date, I felt like, and it's still uh, 
still paying out dividends somehow in that regard. And that, you know, as we port it to more systems going forward, we still keep having problems with it. <laughs> well, what's the challenges that you kind of run into? Well, for one thing, and this is true for both Turok games, although it gets a lot worse in Turok too, is that uh, there's no real visibility system because the original game just relied on the fog. You know, uh, right. you had you had a 45 degree field of view on and about 10 feet of visibility, so everything outside of that just didn't draw at all. And now you've got to take this to a system where draw calls are at a premium. Like, on, for, for example, on the Nintendo Switch, you can't have 300 draw calls in a frame or you just kill the hardware. And, you know, it's it's been a real challenge to get reasonable performance out of both of those games to a degree that you just wouldn't expect. Now, I, I could kind of anticipate that with Turok, too, especially in comparison to the original Turok, because it does kind of just auto, automatically that first, that fog element was such a huge part of it, and when they threw that out the window. I can't even imagine what it was like doing that on the N64, much less what you guys are doing. Like, It almost seems like you got the easier part of that job. Yeah, it gives you a lot of appreciation for uh, what people had to do back in the day uh, to get games running on those really limited systems when you dig into their code and their assets and find out how stuff really works. Now, were you... Kind of, did you primarily see yourself as kind of a retro gamer or whatever, or did you just sort of find yourself in this in within this job and uh, call it from there? Uh, I've definitely always been retro. Uh, I uh, still play old Nintendo and Super Nintendo, Nintendo sixty four stuff like that. That's really my wheelhouse. So you're not going to get a PS five? No, probably not. <laughs> oh man, yeah, me neither. To be honest with you. That was like my big thing is when everybody was freaking out about it. I'm like, what are you freaking out about? You're still going to play on your PC, idiot. <laughs> it's not, you're not even going to buy that thing. But I don't know. It's an interesting time in the world of games because we, we have this kind of separation. People like you going on, you know, you guys are making these amazing like retro style or even like retro ported games. And people seem to really gravitate towards that and appreciate that to the point where there's this like beautiful indie scene of people who are trying to recreate that within the framework of like new worlds and new stories. And then we have this whole other world of just like this consumeristic market of like, please buy our crap. And, you know, I don't know. It, it just sucks. It, it sucks because I, I wish there was just like a more of a focus on things that you guys are doing. What, what you guys are doing is amazing to me. Yeah. I, I don't feel that would ever hurt to have more. <laughs> and, so from True Rock 2, you guys work on uh, Forsaken, and that was really cool. We actually got to give away a few copies of True Rock, True Rock 2, and Forsaken, and Blood Fresh Supply, because Stephen was so generous with our, our recent uh, charity event that The Keep put on. But that game is actually very particularly interesting, like this this space shooter and everything and in a 3D world, and what was that project like for you? Yeah, Forsaken went really well, and uh, that was kind of everything that we felt went wrong with Turok 2, we tried to fix. And uh, it was also the first game that uses our unified framework, which is basically like, you know, Turok 1 and Turok 2 are Kex games, but they're not they're not on the unified engine framework, which means that we can't take new stuff that we've done and put it into them instantly without a whole lot of work. Whereas 
Forsaken and everything we've done since then is on this uh, on this framework where it constantly evolves along with uh, our latest development, and that's been one really good thing that we've done since then uh, that you know goes forward and will continue to uh, help us do better, go faster. <laughs> and so what's been the challenge as far as porting everything to the Nintendo Switch? Because it's like, that's the thing with all of these awesome retro shooters now. is like, well, you got to have a Switch port, right? And so then you end up with doing, you guys doing scroll wheel mechanics and, you know, like, and then you're kind of the opposite of what I was saying earlier, where we had like the, you know, make it a little more difficult for the, the mouse and keyboard users. And now you got to like dumb it back down for the, for the console users. How, what is that like? What, that must be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I would say the biggest challenge for switch development is just performance. And that okay. uh, like on Turok one and two, I had to roll out some uh, optimizations that you don't typically hear about anymore. Like for instance, one of them is called, hash key interning, which is where you pre-compute uh, a hash code for a string and store it somewhere instead of calculating it every time you need to do a lookup using that name. And that mm-hmm. just saved so much CPU time. But it's like, that's something that people used to worry about, say, back around 2000 and not, you know, these days. But on, on a system like that, it's still something that you have to think about. And then... Uh, the, the fun part of the development is kind of like the stuff you were talking about is adding on console-specific features like uh, the motion controls mm-hmm. and uh, vibration support. I really love uh, adding that kind of stuff in. Yeah, so what what do you think is important when you add stuff like that? It's, like, it's not something that was totally inherent to the original releases of a lot of these games for blood, it was totally not a question at all. And for Turok, it was like, you know, the Nintendo was such a strange console where you had the the rumble pack and stupid shit like that, but it wasn't default. You know, it was like an added feature that you had to sell the game on. And for you guys, it's like, uh, it's kind of expected of you. So what was the, what was some of the things you wanted to take into consideration? I feel like you had a bit, a little bit of creative freedom when it comes to that. Yeah. I just uh, had heard about the feature being implemented, say, like in uh, the, the 2016 Doom game. And I was like, you know, that sounds really cool. I'm going to try it in Turok and see how it feels. And I was like, you know, once I got it working, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's such a cool like step into the future. And I guess uh, without pressing you for any information that you can't talk about yet, but Send Gold is kind of on the horizon and, and whatever you guys end up doing with the future releases of this, like I'm really excited to see that. Uh, what can you say in regards to that? Well, um, not a whole lot other than uh, I think it's probably okay to say that we're working on some uh, scaled up resources for it. Okay. And that'll be probably the first time that we've uh, really done that for a game. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to clear... <laughs> I guess we'll run this by Steven and make sure he's cool with everything before we air it. But yeah, I just can't say enough. Like, I, I love what you guys are doing over at Nine Dive. I told him that, and I'd love to have Sam on at some point, too. But I was specifically told, I can't even remember who was telling me this. I was sitting around talking about, uh, probably shortly after the Steven episode, like, you got to have Quasar on, dude. That guy's been around forever. He's been doing all, all kinds of cool shit. So I'm glad I finally got a chance to, like, sit down and uh, chat with you, bro. Like, what, what else? Like, uh, 
Is there anything that you have as like a goal that you'd like to accomplish in the next few years or in in the future with your game development career? Um, I feel like I'm really in a place that I like being and that I that I uh, need to be in, and uh, I just hope that Night Dive is con- is able to continue growing and keep keep true to the mission that it has now, and not you know. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what I wanted to say. <laughs> Is a, a question that I have to, I guess, really ask is what with going on, uh, what what with everything that's going on over with like uh, System Shock coming out, because this though it is technically still like a remaster, this is a much bigger project than what you know we typically see out of a night dive game where you know it's usually like oh yeah we're gonna release an old game and it's gonna be basically exactly the same. And so this is like a big gamble. This is a lot going into this, a lot of resources, a lot of time and all that. And does that do you think that's a marker basically of what we can expect to see in the future from Night Dive, or is this just sort of a one one and done kind of project? And and does that affect your position at all? Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I know that it's taken an extraordinary amount of time and effort for them to get that project where it is now. Mm. But uh We'll just have to see where things go going forward if we're able to continue scaling up and, and do bigger, better things with some of the games that we get. Yeah. I think that's just such a special project. It's so weird that it even exists. And it, with every reason for it not to exist, with every bit of turmoil that has you know, had to be like mucked through to make it happen, it's just such a strange situation. And having played the demo, like I... I'm so happy with where it's at right now. And especially when I talked to Steven earlier this year, like he was like, you know, like last year I don't even, I couldn't tell you I even knew what was going to happen, but now I feel like this is truly falling into something. Like I think night dub is such a strong company. It's such a cool, it's hard to even call it a niche. Like I usually you're like, Oh, this is a little niche thing or whatever. But like night dub is like kicking the shit out of the gaming world right now. And I'm really happy to uh, support you guys in every way that I can. Thanks. Yeah. Do you have any uh, parting parting thoughts? Any shout outs or like love you want to give out to the community? Anything else going on? I guess I'll say hey to everybody in the Doom community, and uh, of course, hey to my night night dive guys, uh, Sam, Edward, uh, Max. That's about it. Thank you, man. I'm really happy we finally get a chance to sit down. Yeah, it's been great. All right, thank you very much to James for being a part of the show. Thank you to Night Dive Studios for everything that they do. Thank you to Kaiser for making the fucking Kex Engine amongst all of his other amazing contributions to Doom. And just like this this whole crew of guys, man, if you're not down with what they're doing at Night Dive Studios, I'm not down with you. You suck. F you. Thank you to Zach Bellica who made this awesome music you're hearing. This is actually from his soundtrack to Sin, which we talked about in the podcast, Night Dive Studios and 3D Realms, all that shit. It's fucking awesome. And uh, Zach Bellica is like out there kicking ass. I believe he's like head of audio over at Epic or some shit now. So, yeah, dude. Hope you like the track. want to thank everybody for listening and also thank uh, our supporters. So everybody who's supporting on Amazon through uh, PayPal donations, uh, buying T-shirts, all that merch shit, whatever. If you want to support the show, 
go over to endthekeep.com. You can find our support and our merch tabs there. And, you know, whatever you want to do, that's cool. And honestly, you don't have to even do that. The best way that you can support, once again, as I always say, just share the show. Tell people you like it. Post it on your Twitter. Post it on your Reddit. If you see it on Reddit, upvote it. If you see it anywhere on the internet at all, post it around. If you know a, a forum I don't know about, post it there. Tell people it's awesome. If you think it's awesome. If you don't like it, you probably are not listening to this right now. So, whatever. I can't help you. But seriously, though, man appreciate it you guys are all awesome keep your head up out there things will get better may the drowned god bless you stay in the keep <laughs>